Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the bully pulpit edition. This week, we're explaining why you should know the name Matt Huffman, why an outright ban on abortion access in Ohio isn't happening yet, whether non-citizens are voting in local elections, and why you might be seeing fewer traffic cameras. Joining me this week is Jesse Balmert, who I'm sure is excited to not be talking about redistricting. Thanks for having me and for diversifying the topics. We try occasionally. So let's dive right into our first topic. It's Matt Huffman. So I spent the last couple months working on a profile about Ohio's Senate president because he's a person with a lot of power, a person a lot of people around the state house know, but most folks couldn't pick him out of alignment, to quote David Pepper, the former Ohio Democratic Party chair. And, you know, I just thought it was important for people to understand who he is and what he believes and how he sort of wields his power over in the state house. It was kind of a look behind the curtain, if you will. Yeah, I found it really fascinating. And to your point, this is not a person that probably average person on the street knows is influencing Ohio's politics and policy so much. And it makes sense. There's kind of the big three. You have your governor, your speaker of the House and the Senate president. But as your story explains, there's been a lot of turmoil in the Ohio House in recent years. Two of the last several speakers have left under the cloud of a federal investigation, including former Speaker Larry Householder, who has pleaded not guilty, but is facing a trial as soon as January. So the Senate has been a more stable place compared to the other chamber. And that has led to just a lot of kind of power and influence being pulled around the leader there, who's right now Matt Huffman. Yeah. And, you know, it was really interesting just to go out to Lima, Ohio, where he's from, which is also where the House Speaker is from. Like, so the center of power in Ohio is apparently Lima. But no, it was good to go around town and see his law office and the famous QP burger that he adores and, you know, just get a sense of like who he was. But yeah, it is a very long story, um, but uh, one of the longest I've written in a while. But I think it's well worth it. And, you know, I will tell you, podcast listeners, that there was a lot that didn't make it into the story. So I've got a quick one for you. He told me this story about a woman named Big Ruth. Yeah. Jesse's face is great right now. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell me more. (laughs) So Big Ruth, mostly a story about his dad. So his dad was the Allen County prosecutor for a while, and he worked in the prosecutor's office. That's like what his father did. And there was this woman around town named Big Ruth. And Big Ruth ran a bar, but she had no liquor license. She ran some gambling, but she had no license. And she also ran a little bit of an employment agency where she helped folks who need work, connected them with folks. So like, but And everybody knew her. I guess the local police knew her. That dad, Huffman's dad knew her. But nobody did anything because she didn't cause trouble. And when that part of the community, when there was a problem in her neck of the woods, she helped ferret out the troublemakers. So Big Ruth was good, even though Big Ruth didn't bother with business permits. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And Did anything come of Big Ruth? So apparently the state liquor control agents came down and they didn't have relationships with Big Ruth. So they raided her place and the case fell on Huffman's dad's desk. And the entire town was sort of like, well, fudge. We like Ruth. There was some other crazy story he told me about a shootout between Ruth and someone who was pissing her off that went through downtown. And so Ruth's quite a character. But um, apparently the day of the trial against Ruth, none of the liquor control agents showed up. 
They just wow. didn't show up. And Huffman swears his dad had nothing to do with it. But afterwards, in the evening, as little Matt Huffman, I think he said he was like three or four, was playing on the porch, this truck rolls up and like six to eight guys get out of the back and they bring down like two big bushel baskets of tomatoes. And they look at his dad and they go, Big Ruth says thanks. Oh my goodness. This is such a fabulous story. <laughs> yeah. And you knew such fascinating things happened in Lima, Ohio. And, and I asked him, what happened to the tomatoes? And he goes, well, you know, there were nine Huffmans. We had tomato soup. But, uh, there you go. But no, he, he gave it as sort of an example of like people make, uh, people used to be more willing to make concessions to reality, as he put it. So like the reality was that like Big Ruth wasn't a nuisance in the community, even though state law kind of made her out to be. If that makes sense and how that's sort of his approach to government regulation, like does it actually make practical sense on the ground? So there was like a value to it. It just didn't fit in the story, but I will keep Big Ruth. Yeah. And I, I would say not to bring it back to my favorite topic always, uh, redistricting. If you've been paying attention to this process, Matt Huffman has been one of the seven people on this redistricting commission has really played an outside role in just negotiations and who's drawing the maps and so forth. So if you're kind of wondering who this person is, uh, you know, give to read. And our second topic is also kind of about Matt Huffman. The Senate president told reporters that a full ban on abortion access in Ohio isn't happening until the U.S. Supreme Court releases its official decision. So a draft decision leaked a couple weeks ago that appeared to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade case, but it's not official yet. So Jesse, you talked to Huffman on this. What, what did he say exactly? Yeah, so I think Matt Huffman's approach to this, and to be clear, he is he is for banning abortion in Ohio. Yeah. He has a history of working and volunteering at a pregnancy crisis pregnancy center, which kind of advocates for alternatives to abortion. And so I think it's likely very likely that the Ohio legislature is going to pass something banning abortion. Um, but his desire is to wait until they see the specific language in the U.S. Supreme Court decision. That way they can tailor this bill to that versus kind of guessing what might be in it or what exceptions might apply, whether there will be exceptions for rape and incest or whether there'll be an exception for the life of the mother. Um, so we're also in a scenario that even if a bill passed today, it's they're not going to have enough votes for it to take effect right away because a large number, if not all of the Democrats are going to oppose this. And so if a bill is going to take effect in three months anyway, you know, this additional time may not be as big of a factor. Do you think there's a little bit of politics there? Because like, what I was wondering is like, let's say this isn't the official decision. Let's say it ends up being like a 12 or a 15 week ban or there is some variation that you're talking about. Like, you know, there are some Republicans in swing suburban districts for whom a full ban on abortion could be politically problematic. So do you think it's there's a little bit of that? Like, why make them take the vote when we don't know what the universe looks like yet? Yeah, I would say he didn't expressly say that, but um, if we're just looking at the politics of this, I think it's likely that the Ohio House and Senate races are going to happen on August 2nd, like a, a different, a yeah. second primary. And the turnout for that primary when, you know, half of Ohio is getting ready for back to school or taking summer vacations is going to be pretty abysmal. And if Ohioans are focused on like a Roe v. Wade decision or abortion access, you know, this issue could come become really powerful on the ballot. And so, you know, if you can wait until lame duck, I don't know if they would come back in the middle of the summer to address this issue. 
So our third topic is voting, specifically whether non-citizens can vote in Ohio elections. So New York City let about 800,000-ish non-citizens vote in its recent election for mayor, and Ohio Republicans have strong feelings about this. So they've introduced a joint resolution to amend the state constitution to ban local governments from letting people who aren't U.S. citizens vote in local elections. Senator Bill Blessing, who's one of the folks pushing this, said it's absolutely a preventative measure, and he was sure that there was lots of people in New York who never would have envisioned this happening either. Yeah, I would say opponents of this bill say this is at best a solution and one of a problem and at worst a desire to kind of drum up nationalistic, you know, even race related sentiments at the ballot box. And because it would be on November's ballot this this November with everything else. That's the expectation. And so um, it's a thought that this will drive more Republican voters to the polls I'm not sure if the Republicans are really going to need that boost, like just given the national headwinds on this election and a lot of the frustration with the current administration, President Biden, um, concerns about inflation, concerns about gas prices, which I think the Republicans are trying to place squarely on on national Democrats' shoulders. And so, like, do you need this ballot initiative to drum up Republican support in November? I, I don't think so, but... I think if it's something they're committed to doing, you might see it on your ballot this year. Yeah. And just to be clear, if you're not a U.S. citizen, you cannot vote legally in federal elections or state elections. Like that's just not. But apparently local elections, there's just like a little more leeway in that regard. Um, it seems like the the law on this is a little bit gray. It looks like uh, Secretary of State LaRose kind of pushed back on Yellow Springs when they tried to float something like this. But, you know, I guess it is. It is possible, theoretically, that a city in Ohio could allow non-citizens to vote in local elections only, although I think it was the Ohio Mayor's Alliance that uh, told our colleague Haley, who was writing on this, that they, they hadn't heard of anybody yet who was going to... It's not like Columbus is planning to like march forward with this. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting, another home rule debate about, you know, <laughs> are we going to need a constitutional amendment for everything? For everything? <laughs> you know, are we going to put the plastic bag ban on the on the November ballot? Probably not. But never say never, Jesse. <laughs> We do love ballot initiatives in the state. So our final topic is traffic cameras. The Ohio Supreme Court dealt a a unanimous blow to cities this week when it said that they can use traffic cameras, but the state can take that cash away. So in 2019, state lawmakers decided that they were going to offset or basically deduct the amounts that cities got from traffic cameras. And the village of Newburgh Heights in the city of East Cleveland sued, saying that violated home rule. But the court unanimously, for once, disagreed. Yeah, this has been really fascinating. It's uh, just been an effort by the state to try to penalize cities that use these sort of traffic cameras as opposed to having like actual police officers out there passing out traffic tickets. And there's a lot of hate for traffic cameras in Columbus. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say like Representative Bill Seitz, for one, has been really adamant about um, penalizing these traffic camera cities. And so if you don't like traffic cameras, you know, congratulations. This (laughs) is uh, probably going to discourage them. If you feel like this is a viable law enforcement tool, uh, that's, you know, the Supreme Court is fine with cities using them, but they're going to pay a price. Yeah, it was basically to try and take away like the financial incentive to use them. Like if you think that they provide safety, like I guess a okay, but 
there's no more like financial incentive to do it because it's going to be a wash. Yeah, I think what they want to try to avoid is speed traps and, yeah. you know, cities making a large portion or villages making a lot of money off of people who are driving through like an interstate or so forth. I don't think that's the majority of municipalities in Ohio by any stretch, but that's not to say it isn't done. And one more thing before you go. Unless you've been intentionally ignoring the news this week, you've probably heard about the shortage of baby formula in the U.S. Well, the Ohio Department of Health on Wednesday said that it applied for waivers from the federal government to give low-income mothers more choices when selecting their baby formula. So basically, if you're on SNAP, which is like the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or WIC or any of these programs, you can't just buy any milk in the store, any formula in the store, any cereal. There's actually like certain specific ones that you have to get. And it can actually be really like confusing because it could be like the 12 ounce box, but not the 16 ounce box. And like, and so you have to buy only certain things. But with this shortage, sometimes the formula that is approved for you under your benefits is no longer on the shelves, right? And like the idea is just basically to give the, the, the parents who use this program a little more choice because there may literally be only one container of formula in their local grocery store left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the goal is to, when there is a shortage, maybe the one that you need isn't there. The one that does applies to SNAP isn't there, WIC. And so that's the goal of it. I think Ohio is one of the last states in the nation to apply for this flexibility. Which was like really interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, Democrat running for Ohio Governor Nan Whaley was pretty critical of that. And, and Mike DeWine not going for that earlier. I believe it's really only this week that Ohio has applied for that waiver and like kind of additional freedom for this. And I don't think we have a really tremendous explanation as to why. No, it's it's kind of convoluted, right? Uh, Vanderhoff, the guy from Ohio Department of Health, basically said that it, it was because the, so Abbott, not to get too in the weeds, but there's like a couple manufacturers of baby formula and the one with the recall isn't the one that Ohio buys its SNAP formula from. And so, but there's still like a mass shortage and like people are panic buying. So it's not like it was, there was more on the shelves here than like other places, or at least I don't get that impression. It was kind of a strange answer. Yeah. So we'll see. (laughs) I'm not sure how long it'll take for Ohio to get that waiver, but I I don't think they're being very stringent on rejecting states at this point. So we'll we'll see if that provides a little more access for people looking for formula given the shortage. All right. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we've covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Kent Record Courier. That's record-courier.com. 